The daemons are, the daemons were, and the daemons shall be again. They came, and we are here. They sleep, and we watch for them. They shall sleep, and we shall die. But we shall return through them. We are their dreams, and they shall awaken. Hail to the ancient dreams. That passage is from The Satanic Rituals uh, by Anton LaVey. But those words were written by Dr. Michael Aquino in The Ceremony of the Nine Angles, which appears in that book. And I think it's very timely and it's a very powerful passage and it has a lot to do with what's going on. I had some questions about demons, daemons, and daimons and I figured this is a good time to talk about that a little bit what these things are and the different meanings that can be associated with them. First off, what about the pronunciation? You hear daemon, you hear daimon, you hear demon, um, and often whoever is pronouncing it at the time seems to have this attitude that their pronunciation is the best. I went and checked out Oxford dictionaries online and they have the daemon d-a-e spelling d-a-i spelling d-e-m-o-n spelling and when you look at the phonetics of it um they just say it's pronounced demon so i consider this a tomato tomato sort of question i like daemon and um i usually spell it d-a-i because the I reminds me of I, the self. And this has a special meaning in the term, which I will come to next during the different ways that this term is utilized. So there's basically three broad categories that people utilize this term. And I'm going to start with the highest, and, and we'll work our way down from there. So, the first level, I call this the psychological level of the daemon. This is the idea of the daemon representing the higher self. This is the idea of the daemon that you find with Socrates and with the Greeks, where the daemon represents um, basically um, your your higher self, a higher sort of consciousness that you have. Um, there's this great line from Plato's Apology where Socrates says, You have often heard me speak of an oracle or sign which comes to me and is the divinity which Miletus ridicules in the indictment. This sign I have had ever since I was a child. The sign is a voice which comes to me and always forbids me to do something which I am going to do, but never commands me to do anything. And this is what stands in the way of my being a politician. 
And so the story goes, if you know the story about um, Socrates is taking the hemlock um, after being accused of corrupting the youth in, in, in Athens, you know, they gave him a choice about this. He could, like, leave the city and go off into... Um, and, and, and go out by himself, be ostracized, or he could drink the hemlock. And Socrates says that he, that, that his daemon told him that taking the, or, or showed him that taking the hemlock was the better option, was the option that would, would, would get him to a better place. So sometimes people make decisions like this that seem irrational to us on the outside, but to them it's, it's very rational because they're having a different kind of internal conversation going on. So you see this with, uh, you know, Plato talks about the daemon, and, and even Aristotle talks about the daemon. It's an idea that, that moved on from the Greeks. Um, the Greeks probably got it from the Zoroastrians, from Persia, possibly from Pythagoras is a, is a possible source of this, um, and, and their idea of the fravashi, which is the original higher version of yourself who who uh, in the celestial realm makes a decision to come to earth to fight against delusion. And once, once this other part of yourself comes to earth, that, that connection, there's still a connection with the higher self back up there. It's like, a th imagine it as a thin cord um, that, that connects you. And so you still have this, this possibility of connecting with that higher self. And, and, so, and, and also part of the cosmology of, the Zor, of uh, Zarathustra is that at the end of life, you'll be reconnected with that higher self. And so along the way, there are opportunities to reconnect or get guidance or advice from that higher self. And from one point of view, this is the entire aim of initiation, of left-hand path initiation, is to reconnect with that higher self, to integrate that higher self, reintegrate that higher self into your being, um, and, 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 and therefore have a better perspective on you know, life, the universe, and everything. This also corresponds with what Gurdjieff called the higher intellectual center. So you start out in the Gurdjieff system, you start out talking about how the human is, is comprised of centers which have different functions. And you start out with three basic centers. You have an intellectual, an emotional, and a physical center. And the aim in that system is to get all the centers kind of working at the same level, working where they should be instead of trying to do each other's work. And as one progresses, then um, there's a, also you discover there's also a higher intellectual center and a higher emotional center. And this higher intellectual center um, could correspond, again, with this idea of the daemon. 
Um, and, and, and there's uh, different things in the fourth way system that you can make the case is this is very similar to the daemon. In one sense, the idea of a permanent eye starts to sound like the daemon. And um, then sometimes, you know, Ospensky talks about something called deputy steward, a part of the self that like emerges uh, when one uh, continues with the work and it keeps you on track. And, and, and in some ways that seems similar to the daemon. So, it, and, you know, it's not necessary to, to prove that it's this or that. What's important about this is the idea behind it. What's important about this is the pattern. It's not important if you call it daemon or daimon or fravashi. What's important is that you understand the movement in that direction and that you're at where, where your attention is going. So all these different, all, the, all these three aspects of the daemon I'm talking about, we can talk about it in terms of attention, where uh, adopting this particular perspective, where it focuses your attention. And the psychological approach to the daemon, this focuses your attention to the higher, to something that is higher than your current self, your man manifested self, yourself as you are in ordinary life, here and now on this planet. What is higher than that? What is above that yet is still is still yourself, is still your mind. Um, there's a really good book on this called um, The Daemon by Anthony Peake, which you've probably heard me, heard me uh, refer to before. And he likes to talk about, and, and, and Robert Anton Wilson does this too, he likes to talk about the time perspective on this. How... You know, you go through, you know, three-dimensional time and, and, you know, what's in the four, or, or, you know, three dimensions is, 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 is space and then fourth dimension is time and then fifth dimension is a perspective through time and, and, and the daemon generally equates to, um, you know, uh, consciousness in the fourth dimension and perhaps is from this, the fifth dimension is a manifestation of the fifth dimension itself. Uh, Dr. Aquino also talked about some of these ideas in Mindstar. And here the idea with the daemon is that the daemon being, you know, having fourth dimensional awareness, being yourself in the fourth dimension basically, is, is all spread out in time. You know, everything is like happening, happening at once there. So the daemon is either is experienced everything you have and everything you are going to experience, or else the daemon perhaps knows all the alternative realities that you could possibly, you know, uh, exist in, um, you know, if you want to get hyper-quantum with it. And so this would, uh, is one possible explanation for foreknowledge, because this is another thing about this perspective on the daemon is associated with uh, the idea of, of foreknowledge or premonition or, or seeing into the future or, or knowing of future events. And this is how you know Socrates like kind of talks about the daemon. The daemon is someone who forbids you about doing something. In other words, don't don't take that option. It's a bad idea. Um, because the daemon has knowledge of everything that's like going to happen. Um, this is also similar to uh, Ospensky talks about 
eternal recurrence and uh, the laws of Manu and what this is and Ospensky, you know, Gurdjieff called him Ospensky fourth dimension. So he was all about fourth dimension and all about weird time theories and stuff like that. And so one, one of the theories that Ospensky talks about in uh, his, his book, New Model of the Universe, is the idea that everything happens at once or all of your lives happen at once. Yeah, you have lived uh, a million of the a million times in this life, and pretty much the same uh, thing happens every time. And um, and and so when you basically when you get to the end of the uh, end of your life, if you haven't connected with something higher or haven't had that demonic awareness connected with the the higher self or the holy guardian angel, then you just basically live the same life over and over again. And he illustrated this in his, his book, uh, The Strange Life of Ivan Osakin, who's a guy who he's given the chance by a magician to live his whole life over again. You know, he's at the end of his life and he's like, oh man, I just, I pissed it all away. I really fucked it up. I wish I had a chance to do it over again. And the magician says, uh, you know, I can send you back and you can do it. I'll give you another chance to do it again. But you know what? It's going to be the same. And he says, no, I'll do it. And then he goes and he goes through his whole life again. And he lives it exactly the same way he did before. He never changes anything. There's different stories out there who have that that have the same idea. It's an idea that starts to get into mythology. Ideas also contained in the gospel with the story of uh, St. Peter and the cock crowing three times. You know, Jesus warns him at the Last Supper that you know, uh, you'll deny me before the cock crows. You'll deny me three times, and and then it goes through a process. And you know, Jesus gets captured, and he gets tortured in the square, and and you know, public execution, and all this stuff. And every time when it happens, like Peter's there, like while Jesus is getting beaten up by the soldiers, and or, or you know, everyone's like attacking him in the square, and they'll say, "Do you know this man?" And Peter will be like, "No, I don't know him." You know, after he said, I would never deny you, my Lord, but he denies him. And then even when he's up on the cross, they're like, do you know that guy? And he's like, no, I don't know him. And then the cock, the cock crows, and then Peter goes out into the square and like weeps. And why does he weep? He weeps because he can't change his destiny, even though he knows, even though he's told what he's going to do, he can't change it. And... This is the frustration about being unable to change the course of your life without connecting with something higher. So, so that's what that's all about. And it also, of course, is a whole, I have to mention the Holy Guardian Angel. This also ties in with what Alistair Crowley said about the Holy Guardian Angel and everything about knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel is 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 about knowledge and conversation with your with your higher self, which is a very pure idea. But honestly, a lot of people who follow that system get, end up getting caught up in. And ceremonialism, and 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 spells, and and uh, you know, being initiated by other people, uh, which I don't even know what that really means. Um, so, but the idea is in there. You know, the idea is definitely uh, in there, and and is part of the pure aspect of Thelema. The idea um, that that you can have true will, that you can have pure true will, is very much connected with this idea 
of the higher self, of the daemon, and actualizing that will is, is very much connected with the idea of connecting with the daemon. So that's the psychological model. Uh, the, the second broad category of this term is what I call the mythological level. So this includes myth- mythological stories about daemons and demons. So this is, this is John Milton's Paradise Lost. This is Michael Aquino's Diabolicon. Um, the story of the rebellious angels is probably one of the most popular myths in culture that has so little legitimate, you know, historical data on it. It's so interesting. This whole concept of Lucifer, um, the rebellious angel saying, fuck central authority. I'm out of here. Let's go guys. And let's like start restart an organization based on freedom is such a prevalent idea in our culture that it, it just boggles the mind that there's so little um, historical um, documentation for it. Because if you go back to the historical, because it's Paradise Lost and Diabolicon, this is all post-Enlightenment era stuff. And if you go back into the Bible you know, you know what's there. Enough other people have talked about it. There's one or two passages that talk about Lucifer, and they think actually he was referring to some Babylonian king, um, and it doesn't totally line up with like the Roman Lucifer. We're always told that Lucifer is the light bearer from from Roman stuff, but then when you really, I mean, there's so little information about it. There's so little information about that, but it's very, very popular in. In, in pop culture, subculture, I guess I should say, um, O-culture. Nevertheless, this is the second level with, uh, with, um, in, in which daemons are used. And here, what happens is basically um, daemons are conceived as sort of a society of higher beings um, who were somehow involved in the process of passing along uh, perhaps a substance like the black flame which energized and, and enlightened mankind you know Lucifer is the light of the world and, and and possibly was involved in like teaching mankind so if we just start with that enlightenment era model there's a couple of directions you can go with this. So like I said, if you go back in, if you go back in time and you go back to ancient mythologies and stuff like that, you don't find the daemon thing, but what you find is is the pantheons of gods and, and ancestors in, in all these different groups. Now of course, what probably happened is these pa- is, and, and we know happened is these uh, pagan systems were turned the, the gods from these pagan systems were turned into demons. And so that's how we got them. And um, another thing that's happened is a lot of, as Western culture has gone back to sort of reopen the, um, the lost wisdom and opportunities in these pagan systems, we've had a tendency to 
put it through the neoplatonic blender and kind of turn these all of the the beings uh, from these pantheons into gods and goddesses and the neoplatonic Jungian Jungian uh, context that they are presented to us in through the books that are available to us in the West present them in such a uniform manner that you can interchange them. You can switch out your pantheons. You can work with the Greek pantheon for a while, then switch it out for a Roman, then switch it over to Egyptian, then switch it over to Norse, whatever suits your, your fancy. You know, you can go uh, you can go Aphrodite for a while, and then you can switch over to uh, Tayuku and Aztec. You can switch over to, uh, you know, Quan Yin in Chinese. You can switch over to uh, Bastet in Egyptian, and and so on and so forth. It's almost at the point of absurd when you consider that. August Derleth, the great Lovecraftian writer, who I like a lot of his books. He wrote um, Lurker on the Threshold, I think. Um, he sort of went in and took the Lovecraftian mythos, took the different uh, beings from that, and he kind of turned them into a pantheon. So, and, and this is the common like Lovecraftian thing that you see nowadays. It's like, oh, it's this pantheon of demons, Cthulhu is like the Lucifer character. And then, um, you know, Nyarlathotep is like the Hermes messenger Thoth type character. And then you've got Yog sothoth who's like this and so on and so forth. And, and you know, August Derleth was a Catholic, a hardcore Roman Catholic. So it shouldn't be surprising that he took this phenomenon like Lovecraft, which is really Lovecraft was trying to write about something of, of you know, this is way beyond what you think gods are about. He definitely way beyond the Neoplatonic thing because Lovecraft was a hardcore materialist, right? He doesn't talk about some ideal realm of the forms. He talks about material science and telescopes and dimensions and machines and stuff like that. So um he's definitely a, a materialist perspective on this but like i mean lovecraft is one one example of of going back to the source and looking at it but you can do this with you know all these other cultures as well if you really go back to looking at the source with the norse or the greeks or especially the egyptians what you find is these earliest perspectives on gods, they're, they're, they're not treated in the God kind of way that, that we think of treating gods, where you supplicate them and give, offer up sacrifices and beg them to like give you, you know, good fortune. But what they are is they're like levels of beings, like a high, higher levels of beings. You can see this really simply in the Greek mythology where it's like you got all the gods, you know, on, on Olympus, and they're like one um, species or race of beings who directly, you know, had uh, has 
interactions with mankind and is responsible for mankind's evolution through the figure Prometheus, um, especially, but also others. But the interesting thing about Prometheus, see, he's like not a god. He's a titan. And so you learn in Greek mythology, there's this whole other level of beings that are called titans. And then if you keep going back, there's others. There's the, the Hecakana Lithos, the hundred-handed, hundred eyes or whatever, hundred heads creatures. And it keeps going back to these succeeding generations of races of beings. It's similar in the Egyptian, too. If you go back in the, in the uh, Valley of the Kings, there's inscriptions that, that talk about the people of Horus who like traveled like over the seas to come here and that they're the ones who like established the original like Greek culture and stuff like that. So so this is my point about this middle road, the mythological approach to the daemons is that we follow it back through history. What the pattern emerges is that there are succeeding levels of beings that are higher than mankind in some ways, in some ways perhaps lower than mankind, but they precede mankind and they had some sort of function in the species of man being here where it is right now, here and now. So that's the mythological aspect. And, and in relation to fourth-way ideas, this demonic perspective corresponds with a uh, higher emotional center. So Gurdjieff said that uh, that mythology is the language of a higher emotional center. So this is how the higher emotional center connects with the demonic realm. The third approach to daemon is what I like to call the imaginative approach. So if you took the Goetia, which in many ways is based on the mythological, if you took the, the world suggested by the Goetia, the possibilities suggested by the Goetia, then what you end up with is the imaginative realm. In other words, in this view, uh, demons are all over the place and they're floating around in the air and the here and now and they can possess you and you can channel them and you can call them up and you can send them out to go do stuff for you and they can reveal knowledge. And at some points, it, it, it starts to seep into a, a literal affirmation of the mythological thing where people take all these demons and they start to turn them into a pantheon. And they're like, you know, Lucifer's like Zeus and Astaroth is like Aphrodite and, and so on and so forth. And it's because these in these medieval grimoires, they have like, oh, this demon does this, this demon does that, this demon will reveal treasure, this demon will make your enemy, uh, you know, catch uh, consumption or, or some weird ancient disease that, that people used to get. Um, and, 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 and so this, this level, this perspective is also, I, I mean, you can, you can associate it 
um, with superstition. You can associate it with um, sort of fantasy type things. Um, and, and, you know, it, for the purposes of, of conducting, you know, magic, imagination is a very important aspect of it. Um, Anton LaVey talks about this a lot. In, uh, in the Satanic Bible. There's a good section on this, on the power of uh, imagination. But this is, it's like controlled imagination is the thing. And which really should be considered distinct. Um, Ospensky liked to say creative thinking. You say creative, willful thinking. Um, or creative mentation, active mentation. Um, as something that is distinct from imagination because really in imagination what's often happening is is people are getting pulled along by it they're being pulled along by uh, fanciful not real images and impressions that are ultimately instilled by others who want to take advantage of you or they're instilled by uh, deep repressed parts of your own psyche. <laughs> so the idea of channeling spirits is in here somewhere as well. So if you consider that the aim of, of left-hand path initiation is to see yourself as you truly are, not as you imagine yourself to be, then a lot of this approach... Uh, necessarily falls within the realm of delusion and delusionary activities, which ultimately um, wind you up in the coils of a uh, of a pep, and uh, meaning it ultimately doesn't lead anywhere. It doesn't lead towards truth. The delusion just always leads towards more delusion. I mean, how can it? If your basic ideas are based on your 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 fundamental assumptions are based on delusion, then your uh, then your final conclusions can only uh, be more delusion. This also ties in very closely with um, with Gurdjieff's multiple personality theory, the theory of uh, multiple eyes, or the model of multiple eyes um, that people just normally in your ordinary state have multiple eyes and this is an important part of beginning real initiation is is realizing that because as long as you continue to think you are a singular individual when in actuality you're not you're a big plethora of different personalities different wants hopes fears and directions then you cannot you cannot make any progress like this, and so then the idea of of channeling demons or creating de or, or you know different demons or like talking to you and stuff. What this is really doing nine times out of ten is just creating more false personalities within yourself, and this is all a very ancient idea. So you can go back to. Um, again, the Gospels on this, and there's a, a story about um, Jesus meets a man who's possessed by demons. And he asks him what his name is, and the guy says, 
uh, I am legion for we are many. And I'm sure many people, everyone knows this. You've seen the show Legion, right? The, the, based on the X-Men character. It's a very famous uh, line from it. But you see it in The Exorcist too. There's like all these different demons inside or all these different creatures that like manifest inside of the possessed um, individual. This is all just a metaphor for multiple personality syndrome, which is part of the state of ordinary man, of mechanical man, of man who has no singular I and therefore cannot have any singular will, cannot have true will whatsoever. So there's systems too that like flow out of this. This 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 system is also um, promoted by postmodern ideas, and this was the central idea in uh, the Temple of the Psychic Youth that you have multiple personalities and and that that's awesome, and that you should develop all of your per- multiple personalities and create new personalities. The problem is, is that um, every time you're in one personality, that personality is trying to lead somewhere, and then another personality will lead you another place. And this is why people who subscribe to these sorts of systems, you see them, you know, ten years later, and they're still in the same place. They're still hanging out, going to parties, you know, doing lots of drugs, um, you know, and, and and rolling with the good times, and still like, you know, whatever, like painting pictures or doing shows or something that doesn't like lead anywhere ultimately. So, in one sense, what I'm saying is, while there might be some magical value or some self-reflectionary value in this imaginative approach to daemon or demons, that there's also a danger in here. So I won't be the first person to say that uh, working with left-hand path ideas is like working with volatile chemicals. It can be explosive, it can be dangerous, and, 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 and there needs to be a certain level of stability in the people who undertake it. There has to be an attitude of sincerity for those who undertake it. Sincerity and seriousness and earnestness about it. If someone undertakes these ideas and pursues them without having that that sincerity, without that sincere wish for something, that sincere wish for something like a a permanent singular I and a real world kind of existence, that, that, that opens to the door to all of these imaginatory activities and thinking that there's demons floating around everywhere and there's demons inside of you and demons are talking through you and you can channel demons and you can um, do all this stuff with it. So, again, I judge no one. And as Crowley said, every man must cut his own way through the jungle. I merely offer my perspectives on what I have seen. And I haven't ever really seen anyone use this imaginative approach to demons um, to, to see that it got them anywhere significant in life. But to each his own, everyone needs to go uh, where they need to go. 
But ultimately, the aim of daemonosophy is is ultimately in line with the first perspective and also to some extent it utilizes the secondary perspective in order to stimulate and awaken certain aspects of, of the heart, of the higher emotional center, of the energy, because there's patterns within it that are, are useful and also the patterns of it lead back towards the uh, morality of the left-hand path, the value of uh, the individual being sovereign. And of course, the idea of the daemon, the idea that your real self is somewhere higher above you, is consistent with this idea that the individual is sovereign, but also acknowledges the incompleteness of being that we experience here in uh, the real world or planet Earth or the uh, you know, mesocosm or, or however you want to understand it. In the here and now, we are incomplete beings. And so if you're rational and you realize this, then you'll want to seek completion. And so, and those who wish to seek this always should seek towards the higher, the higher and the pure, not the duplicitous, multifaceted, illusory world that is parallel around and or below you. You have to seek that which is higher and open yourself to that which is higher, that of yourself which is higher. Don't open yourself to whatever's out there, whoever wants you to open yourself to them. Open yourself to yourself, the self that is beyond yourself, that is higher than you, the holy guardian angel, the eternal fravashi, the daemon. And with that, keep fighting the good fight and keep the dark fires burning. <laughs>